This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Cross-generational supervision. Think about it. We have four, maybe five generations currently serving in the fire service. New officers find themselves facing a unique supervisory challenge of learning how to lead diverse groups with different learning and leadership styles. Indeed, leading those who grew up and developed on both sides of the digital age. This challenge is amplified when less experienced members are placed in supervisory roles, managing older or more experienced members. We're going to be talking today with a chief in just a moment, a chief who found themselves square in the middle of that amplified space. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha podcast is sponsored by Homeland 6 Tactical Radio Straps. These custom radio straps feature extractor washable decontamination with superior comfort and functionality. Learn more at Homeland 6, that's homelandsix.com. At Fire Rescue One, we're continuing with the theme of our latest special coverage series that is um, titled Preparing New Officers for Cross-Generation Supervision. Today, we'll be talking with Fire Chief Tricia Wooford from the Anne Arundel County, Maryland Fire Department. Chief Wooford is also the chair of the IAFC's Professional Development Committee. Chief Wooford started her fire service career with Anne Arundel County and served in various capacities during that career. After a break from Anne Arundel County, she served as the deputy fire chief uh, slash fire marshal for the Bozeman uh, Fire Department in Bozeman, Montana, then served as the assistant chief with the Spokane Fire Department in Washington State before returning home to Anne Arundel County as fire chief in 2019. Wolford is a graduate of the Executive Fire Officer Program at the National Fire Academy and the IAFC's Fire Service Executive Development Institute and holds a CFO and CFM designation from the Center for Public Safety Excellence. She is also a member of the IAFC Human Relations Committee. Chief Wolford has a master's degree in management and leadership and is finishing her MBA from Western Governors University. Chief Wolford wrote about this topic for Fire Rescue One um, in an article titled Leading Across Generations, How Fire Chiefs Can Connect with Their Entire Membership. And considering her background, we believe she's a great addition to this ongoing conversation today. Chief Wolford, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Chief. Happy to be here. It's a great topic. Uh, Absolutely. And let's get right to it, Chief. You're a Gen Xer. Uh, Can you explain to our listeners what that really means, and do you believe you exemplify the traditional characteristics of a Gen Xer? Uh, So I'm on the the late side of Gen X. Uh, I just just barely made it in there. Um, And I do think there are some qualities uh, in that group, if if we have to be grouped, um, that that I definitely relate to. you know, there there is a little piece of that um, valuing work life balance, um, but at the same time, there's a definitely a, a bunch of research on the Gen Xers that saw their workaholic baby boomer parents, um, and then it seems like our generation kind of split that. Like, I'm not going to work as hard as my mom and dad did. I I really want to enjoy life, or they picked up those work habits and they recognize, you know, that 
just the rewards of what you get with that grind. And, um, and so I think I'm a little more like that. I, I love to work. Part of that is I love my job. Um, so I feel like I, I have some of those attributes, but then the, I think the Gen X piece that starts to separate is um, we're definitely willing to work smarter than harder. So we're willing to take the time to learn something new if it means we're going to get to it quicker. There's that level of impatience, I think. Yeah, sure. You know, and you kind of mentioned it um, just a second ago when you've studied leadership and management pretty extensively during your career. Um, do you do you think the generational labels really matter? And, you know, frankly, how much of that is a is a crutch? Um, I think they matter more so maybe for the worse uh, when you're in person. Um, I think the research aspect of it is incredibly interesting when Um, You said in your intro, you know, we're dealing with five generations in the firehouse. uh, And I think that's exceptionally cool. Like, I just think it's a really neat dynamic. Uh, But when you're in a leadership role, those five different generations and how you lead them could be very different. So when you start categorizing, uh, I'm not sure that most people like that. That's why I think it's kind of a good background element to for, for leaders to know and understand, but maybe that's not something that they vocalize. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear a lot of people that, like you said, uh, if we have to be grouped, okay, I'll, I'll take this one or that one. But uh, uh, I think it's some folks uh, buy into it. Some don't. And I guess I'm uh, middle of the road there. And I agree with you having this many different um, generations in the service at one time and indeed, folks that uh, the, the first set of folks that entered just a couple of years ago that have been the first generation, you know, if you take a label off of it, it's been the first generation that's actually had the internet their entire life. Mm-hmm. You think about uh, someone like me, I, the internet wasn't even a thing when I uh, first joined. So uh, having all of those different dynamics together is, is huge. And that's, all part and parcel to the difficulty we're talking about today. So I think, um, you know, most fire service leaders would say they see those differences. Oh, absolutely. Particularly when it comes. Yeah, yeah. there's no way not to see those differences. I, I think it's about the, um, the tone, like somehow the word millennial became a bad word, you know, it was, it's got a negative connotation where, you know, baby boomer was used all the time and, that doesn't really have as much of a negative connotation, but it's kind of the tone that the words have taken on. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you lead across that? You know, you've got all these different uh, um, labels and you got the different elements of those generational, really generational gaps between each. How do you how do you lead across those? Is it is it identifying you know particular motivators or you know what? What can you help our listeners uh, you know with on that? I I think it's two things. I think it's um, what motivates people and then what connects people. Um, And that's why I talk about like the I find the research fascinating to understand the background of, you know, uh, Gen X, baby boomers, you know, uh, Gen Z. That'll be the newest one in our workforce. Um, It's interesting to understand the background. So you have a, a little bit of a broader definition or sometimes it just simplifies, like you mentioned, what what they've been brought up on. You know, millennials have been brought up on technology. Baby boomers were not. So it's just kind of that little bit of a a foundation. 
Um, but then the thing that I try to make sure that the leaders in my organization, including myself, keep in mind is, you know, what motivates people and, and what things do we share that kind of drives us all forward. And sometimes, you know, those are really in the firehouse, some pretty simplistic things. Uh, they want to be good at their profession. Uh, you know, they care about family and friends. Uh, they want to be paid well for what they're doing. You know, there's a, you know, probably eight or 10 core values that motivates employees. Um, and even though ours tend to be a, sometimes a little bit different because of how we work and, and what we do and the stress that we're under. But at the end of the day, it's like, let's, let's find the common things that everybody wants. Um, the generational gap is to me how we get there. You know, millennials are going to get there differently than a baby boomer will get there. But if we're all still focused on getting the same things, I think it's interesting to see how people approach and kind of tackle some of those challenges based on, you know, their, their generation and what they've been brought up to do and how to do it. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the things that motivate people, family, uh, promotions, all, all kinds of different things motivate them. How do supervisors, you know, how do we help supervisors capitalize on those things or really, you know, maximize the opportunities amongst the crew and amongst that interaction between the supervisor and the individual firefighters? How, how can you help us there? I think one of the easiest ways to do that is if you look at just the span of control, uh, if you have a lieutenant or a captain and the firefighters working for them, they have the ability to get to know these individuals, right? That's, I mean, that's, one of our, our greatest attributes is, is to create that uh, cohesion and that teamwork in the firehouse. So then to me, you're really leaning on what is diverse about these individuals that you can capitalize on. Um, so find that unique quality that I would say, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, the unique qualities is what might have pushed somebody out of a group because they weren't all so much alike that I see the new up and coming leaders really taking those pieces of diversity, um, you know, just with your character traits, you know, not necessarily color, gender, but, you know, just different character traits they've been brought up with or different strengths and using those things to really make a successful team. So they're almost looking for that uniqueness um, to be able to kind of work that into the fold and go, okay, well, that's a strength. Like that's something I don't do well at all. I see it a lot with some of our senior members that, you know, they're going to let a, a younger individual, you know, teach them something on social media. And then the next thing you know, you know, that's what they're using for training. And, uh, you know, some of the older generations weren't throwing YouTube videos up on the screen in the kitchen for everybody to kind of like talk through a fire ground scenario. You know, we were opening a magazine, right? And laying it on the kitchen table and yeah. looking at photographs. So it, there's there's been some cool revelations for both generations to see. Um, the younger generation also, the historical aspect, right? That's, that's um, maybe part of the impatience level of sometimes we don't care how we got to where we are now, but there really is a, a good reason to know some of that historical aspect. Sure, yeah, great stuff. Let's take a brief moment to recognize our sponsor again. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are heavy duty yet lightweight and 100% made in USA. These are the world's first custom radio straps made from military grade nylon that's used in ballistic vests. Unlike traditional leather, they're also extractor washable for pathogens like COVID-19 and for carcinogen decon. 
These are making leather straps a thing of the past. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are available in multiple colors with adjustable, regular, and extra large sizes, even with reflective or glow-in-the-dark patterns and custom text. New customers can receive a discount on their first order of tactical radio straps or accessories at Homeland 6, that's homelandsix.com. Trish, a little deeper into your resume, we can change gears here for a second, a little deeper into your resume, you've got an interesting entry. It says you spent seven months training at the Anne Arundel County Police Academy, and you were sworn in as a law enforcement officer in May 2012. With your law enforcement and paramedic background, you joined the Anne Arundel County uh, Tactical Medic Program, which provided medical attention, obviously, to the uh, to the Anne Arundel County Police Quick Response Team. I presume that fairly unique perspective provided insight on how uh, different generations work together, and in this case, work together across uh, genres of, of work. While it's been a few years, did you find the same general differences in law enforcement? Um, you know, so my, my experience, I, you know, in the, the time I was in the training academy, of course, you know, I'm sure you and I and, and everybody listening that has gone through an academy knows there, there's no individualism in, a, in an academy, right? It, that's a pretty regimented area. Sure. Um, I, I do still have my law enforcement. I, I, you know, I go through all the trainings and um, any of the in-service, things like that. And then the time that I spent with the SWAT team, again, we, we talk about paramilitary organization. When the men and women on the SWAT team, that that's even more tightly run uh, for all good reasons. Um, so I did get to see a little bit of the, um, I guess what I would consider maybe the, the challenges of how you guide those different generations in the workforce. Um, the, obviously, the perspective of police versus fire is incredibly different. Um, so that alone was was a tremendous um, asset just to have that. And I joke um, with some of my friends and family, if you've never spent eight hours in a Bearcat with about 12 operators uh, on, a, on a call out, uh, you really haven't experienced some of the unique challenges. <laughs> yeah, not sure I want to. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you, you learn a lot about yourself in that time, um, but you also um, can see the, the self-discipline that, that comes from, you know, why those men and women operate the way they do. So the, the generations, I see it more now in the leadership role I'm in now because we still have some of our firefighters that go through the police academy. And that's to me where I can really see the difference. Um, so it, it's similar, but I think one of the things that sets us apart is that time frame of 24 hours spent together um, and is that downtime where when you're you know when you're in a police vehicle it's normally you by yourself um, you definitely have your partners on the road but you're still going to a call and then kind of breaking away so that individualism still exists where our downtime is normally spent in the company of those we are working with so i think that's probably the biggest difference yeah and you know it's it, it, that is an interesting dynamic in and of itself. I was talking with some other folks uh, actually today about that, that uh, 24 hour shift and the fact that we're typically on that shift with three, four or five, sometimes six other people that are the same, you know, 
three, four, five, or six people for that 24 hours and the entire year. And that camaraderie and team building that comes out of that, mm-hmm. you can definitely see where that's a different mix than the police officer who, especially a SWAT team, who is only with those people for maybe an hour or two, maybe three or four, and once in a blue moon, really, right? I mean, it's not the same opportunity. So I guess it this difference in the uh, generations probably manifests differently across law enforcement than it, than it does in the fire service. Well, and there you get those layers of leadership. You know, it's one thing to lead on the fire ground or on a rescue box, a medical call. It's, it's another thing to have those different leadership capabilities um, in the non-emergent times. You know, you still have to be a leader in a firehouse when you're cooking dinner and, you know, cleaning in the morning or whatever it is. And I think we all know those challenges become much greater in the leadership world. You know, on the incident, we we are very regimented in what we do. So, you know, the law enforcement doesn't have those as many opportunities, I should say, um, of those leadership and guiding moments of the downtime. And uh, I think that's normally where we tend to get ourselves in trouble sometimes too, is is everybody lets their guard down when you, you really can't in those roles. Yeah, and that's the truth. The downtime is what kills us all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so have you uh, watched this generational, uh, you know, kind of the layers of generational issues play out in your own career? Um, you know, you were you were, uh, we'll call it a rookie. You were a rookie once to now serving as chief of the department. Any anecdotes you can share there or, or tell us how it played out in your career? Uh, well, yeah, you just kind of go from rookie firefighter to rookie chief, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, you definitely feel that. Um, you know, I think for me, some of the uh, challenges were um, I was tried to be really open and honest. Um, I skipped a couple of ranks and uh, I just did things a little non-traditional. Um, and so when I try and relate to my captains and battalion chiefs, I I stay really focused on listening and understanding to their challenges. And maybe sometimes um, to my detriment, like I, I just really want to know because I want to make sure since I wasn't a captain that I don't glaze over that and I don't misinterpret what their needs are. Um, so there, there's that challenge. And then there's also my age, you know, I'm a, a little bit younger. Um, and I, well, you know, I guess maybe there's a lot of fire chiefs. I'm, I'm 42. I'm, I was a fire chief when I was 40. And, um, and when you come in, it's like, you've got people, most everybody I came in with in the leadership roles were older than me. Um, and I think a lot of the officers, I see it now um, as we're promoting new lieutenants, that they're going to go to crews where they will be one of the younger ones, maybe besides the newest firefighter that just got out of the academy. Um, but they're eager, they're hungry, um, they're testing well, they're doing all the right things to to be high on that promotional list. So I can see their challenges and I can really relate to it. And um, I, I like that, right? Because I I want to be able to relate to the newest in the department. And I still kind of feel very much connected to that just with my age and the fact that it really doesn't feel like that long ago that I was on a medic unit doing, you know, transports just like they're doing. So there are some of those unique challenges that come with age range and 
you know, again, back to the five generations, there's, there's always going to be somebody older and there's always going to be somebody younger. Yeah. Yeah. And you uh, are one of those who has really kind of been on both sides of uh, the, the digital age and the, uh, the whole uh, social media piece. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you came up, how can you, can you give us some parallels of how technology and social media have influenced this overall issue? I mean, the, you know, the generations in and of themselves are somewhat tied to the social media or tied to uh, the technology in, in, in some cases and others they're not. But how has technology and social media influenced this entire issue? And uh, does it close or widen the gap between and, and among the generations? That is probably the million dollar question, right? Does it uh, open or close the gap? You know, does it? Um, I think that's a fantastic question. We, you know, social media, we all know has its pros and cons, and it's really hard to just kind of stay right there in the middle. Um, I think for the most part, I see social media being um, something really great for our retirees, if we even push to another generation, I see a great um, connection that it provides. Um, You know, whoever taught them social media, whoever got them onto that, um, I love seeing that connection back to the workforce. Um, But then, so that would be a pro, but then the con is, I just don't know that I see that maybe our retirees are coming back to the firehouse for coffee in the morning, you know, that kind of thing. So for every good, there is a bad. Um, for every amazing piece of training or seeing a fire when you're on the East Coast and watching it real time on your, you know, handheld device that's on the West Coast, like some of those things have just broadened our capacity to be knowledgeable about our profession, which is amazing. But then at the same time, you walk into the firehouse and everybody's got their head down staring at a device and there isn't that same level of camaraderie. So I don't, I don't know that I could say that it narrows the gap versus, you know, one versus the other. Uh, it's a lot of self-discipline. And I think that's normally where that resides is like, can you do just enough to stay involved, but not so much that you get yourself in trouble? Um, we, we all know there's pretty robust social media policies out there, and that's <laughs> clearly for a reason. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. a great question that I would love to know if somebody has the, the million dollar answer for that one. Well, we'll keep searching for it and let you know if we find it. And, you know, you, you said there's a, there's a lot of great social media policies out there. I think was the great was the term you used, mm-hmm. which which makes you. It, it begs a different thought for me, and that is, if we have such great policies out there, and generally speaking, we we tend to follow policies. Every once in a while, we don't. And that's why we have disciplinary processes. But it sure seems like we see an awful lot of folks who fall into the social media trap. Mm-hmm. And when I say folks, I mean our fire service folks, and they end up getting fired, or they end up on, you know, the downside of the disciplinary process. What advice can you give uh, those people who find themselves with that compulsion to um, respond on social media? I think it's probably similar to when you get ready to fire off an email and 
it's in the heat of the moment and you know you can drop it in your your draft box and let it set there for 24 hours and that's probably what you should be doing or you know when you go to pick up the phone to make that phone call and you know you're just a little too hot about the topic that you want to talk about um it, for me it again it goes back to that self-control piece i think one of the things that i normally and this is with discipline or anything you know there there are these conversations that i like to have with members in my department that you know when when you go to do something and you know in that moment when you're getting ready to post something, you, you know that you're already linked to the fire department. You know that you signed up to represent something greater than just yourself. Um, and we know that they forget it in those moments or they think, you know, something different. You know, I, I have a right to do this. But it goes back to kind of that self-awareness piece. Like, is, is that really your intention? Can you really just step back from that for a couple minutes? Maybe it's not the best choice. It certainly creates a lot more work on everybody's part, right? Because now you're going through a discipline process. Now you have to show up at headquarters for a meeting, you know, all of these things. And, and is it really worth it? Um, right. But that kind of goes back to that impatience piece that we talked about previous. Like, you know, it's 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 just hard to get you know, you just get sucked into it. Um, you know, the other thing is, is the late night posts. Um, you know, have you been up all night on calls and you're posting at 3 a.m.? Have you been drinking and you're posting? You know, it's self-control. I mean, it's just how much do you really feel the need to comment on something or to say something? And there are times when it's absolutely necessary, but yeah, every individual has to make that choice. And we all know with every choice we make, there there is a an action that follows that, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. So back away from those 3 a.m. posts, because that's when I'm getting up to go to the gym. So you will see me posting at 3 a.m., but it's not out of anger. <laughs> so um, if there was one lesson that you've learned as a chief or even coming up through your career, but certainly as a chief, having supervised a variety of generations, some older than you, some younger. If you had that one important lesson or that one piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. Gosh, just one, because one is well, tough. You can, give me, you can certainly give me more than one, but... You know, is there a focus that you would put if you were, was there a focus area if you thought about lessons that you would tell people, you know what, this is what I learned coming up? Um, so, the, yes, definitely, definitely one. And, um, and I, it's it, kind of all these parts and pieces that you put together from, you know, I've had such, I still have such great mentors, I, other fire chiefs across the country, you know, other, not even chiefs, you know, just other members in the department, um, great perspectives. And so I've kind of taken a, a, all these little pieces and put them together. Um, so from a leadership perspective with the fire service, uh, anytime I make a decision, I always ask myself two questions. Um, is this good for the community? And is this good for my members? Uh, and there are times when I can't answer yes to both. And when I can't answer yes to both, um, then all that means is I need to do more research. I have more questions I need answered. I need more information because uh, I try to always get to a yes. E even when, 
I can feel a no almost coming out of my mouth. Um, I try to get to a yes. So asking myself those two questions just so I stay focused because it's there's so many things we deal with in a day. Um, and that's at every rank that it's sometimes you just start to lose focus and, and that's the tough part. So that would be my first piece. Um, and then the second piece is this, um, I guess I'll call it self-awareness um, to understand, I'm trying to put it into words because uh, it's almost more of that gut feeling, but it's to understand um why I feel comfortable making a decision versus not. And some people call it their spidey sense. Um, the medics that I learned from when I was a new medic, they had it. I don't know what it was. I, I feel like paramedics have that. And they're like, ooh, this is bad or ooh, this is going to be good. And they're not basing it on anything known factual, um, but it's kind of honing that in. And um, it really comes down to, I guess, a little bit more of that trust, but verify and so I think for me, those are the two things, but I really rely on that first piece of asking myself those two questions because um, I don't want to become unfocused on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, it's really you're talking about uh, depending on on your gut, depending on the, that really your sixth sense. Yeah, because, you know, there's there's sometimes that I, I say yes to something. And I'm like, man, it's like. Yeah, it's just bug. There's just something bugging me about it, and I'm like, there's something still not right. So I'll be like, all right, well, hold up. Let me let me just right. figure this out because I don't want to be internally nagged and whatever that is. And and I can remember feeling that, you know, in my younger years in the department as a young firefighter, um, and just trying to kind of hone that as I've gotten into bigger leadership roles. So that's why I say the self awareness piece because I really think it's important to, to figure out who you are as a leader, like how you're going to react to things. If somebody makes me mad, I have to know how I'm going to react before I put myself in that situation, those types of things. Sure. Yeah, good stuff on a topic that's on everybody's mind, the, the cross-generational uh, issues that affect us all. Uh, we've talked about quite a bit today. Chief, do you have anything else to add? I think the most important thing that I would add about the different generations is anybody in a leadership role, um, anybody that's a, a peer to someone of a different generation, just be open minded. I There is really not a lot that it takes to just listen um, and understand their perspective of why they're suggesting this. So, you know, tell me why you would do it this way versus this way. There's there's really no harm in that because at least you will have a perspective of where they're coming from and what they're doing. Um, and it won't be maybe so irritating. I think that's a, a lot of the generations seem to irritate each other in the firehouse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just be open to, for two minutes, thinking different than, than the way you have always done it for your entire life, because that individual has done it a different way for their entire life. So it's that open-mindedness, and a little bit of patience. You'd be amazed at what you can learn from people that you're going to live with for 24 hours. Yeah, great. Uh, and uh, that reminds me of something you, know, you talked about, uh, the different perspectives and a conversation I had with some folks um, that were questioning why someone was being brought in from the outside. And frankly, that someone was me. And you've been in that shoe. Yes. Uh, 
yeah, you, you've worn that shoe. And uh, the conversation kind of went, you know, uh, uh, like this. It, it was basically, look, they, the, the folks didn't hire me because I was like you. They didn't hire me because I had had your experiences. They hired me because I had had different experiences. And because between the two of us or the 50 or the 500 of us, we can take all of those experiences and make a better experience for our community. So it really is uh, quintessentially what you just said and a great way to close us out. I appreciate you being with us. I'm gonna uh, capture some takeaways from our conversation with Tree, uh, Chief uh, Tricia Wolford from Anne Arundel County, Maryland. We talked about the cross-generational, um, the, the issues of leading across all the generations that are out there, four, maybe five that are uh, out in our fields today. We talked about leading through motivation and connection. Uh, Chief Wolford uh, talked about making sure that leaders connect with their people, uh, motivate them, but connect with what's important to them and understand the backgrounds of the people uh, that they have working for them to find the unique qualities and concentrate on that diversity as a strength, as opposed to having that be a way to divide uh, while putting people into these generational boxes, if you will, tends to divide people by being in those boxes. Her suggestion is to find the qualities within those boxes and concentrate on that diversity as a strength, as opposed to allowing it to remain in the box. Uh, we talked about an interesting dynamic of the 24-hour shifts uh, of the fire service and how that affects our team building and our camaraderie, regardless of the generational age, as opposed to some of the other um, Homeland Security and public safety uh, entities that are out there that don't have that same 24-hour experience. And also, whatever experience they do have, it's usually with one or two people as opposed to the groups of uh, four, five, six, you know, sometimes as many as eight or 10 people on a, on a shift in a fire station. Uh, certainly depends on where you're at. But interesting how across the generational uh, levels that that 24-hour shift and that many people makes a difference. And then we talked about uh, listening and understanding the challenges of all the different groups and that if, uh, you know, if you're the chief, it's extremely important for you to take the time to listen and understand those challenges as opposed to try to just uh, push your will and your direction on them. Uh, certainly technology and social media, the, having this discussion wouldn't be complete without the discussion of technology and social media. And we talked about the uh, how technology was positive for from the perspective of uh, knowledge growth, uh, but it was negative from the perspective of, uh, frankly, just face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, and talked about how you walk in a station now and opposed to everybody sitting around the kitchen table, they're sitting on the couch with a phone in their hand. Um, you know, that's uh, something to be said for that face-to-face -face interaction and the ability to uh, have discussion and stimulating discussion with your crew members. Uh, something really important Chief Wolford talked about, and that was exercising self-control. So we talked about social media, and, you know, I've used the term uh, BAFTK, back away from the keyboard. Uh, Chief Wolford um, more eloquently used it as uh, exercise self-control. Uh, frankly, uh, we're saying the same thing, but at the, at the end of the day, you don't have to reply to everything. And um, another important piece that she said there was to remember, as you go to post, remember that you are affiliated with the fire department. In fact, you are the fire department. So what you're getting ready to post may as well be your fire chief posting it. 
So you've got to make sure that you're thinking about that before you go to uh, to hit and send and maybe put it in the draft box if you have such a thing and let it sit and marinate for a while and decide whether that's the thing that you really want to go out. And then finally, we talked about lessons that Chief Wolford has uh, learned over the course of her career. And she talked about uh, the two questions that she asks herself uh, when she's making a leadership choice. And those two questions were, number one, is it good for the community? And number two, is it good for my people? And she tries to get the yes on both of those. If she can't get the yes on both of them, she takes a step back and tries to rework the question until she gets the answer to yes for both. And then probably more importantly for the individual it is about self-awareness. And talking about leadership choices, about having the self-awareness and really depending on your gut and depending on your sixth sense. Uh, those that have been through the leadership courses and programs and uh, educational uh, paths uh, understand what we're saying. It's, it's one of those things I tell people, there's not a book on the shelf or a plaque on the wall to answer every question you have to tell you how to do the right thing. Sometimes you just have to know. And then Chief Wolford added here at the end that uh, everybody in a leadership role needs to be open-minded uh, and reminds people that it doesn't take a lot to listen. That's all we have time for today, Chief Wolford. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to our listeners for hanging out with us today. This is Mark Bayshore, Executive Editor for FireRescue1.com. Have a great day. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.